Hi, this is Darren Freeman, and you're listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Fulham Focus Podcast. My name's Matt Wackler. The bloody hell, what the heck was that? Fulham were much changed, but still fielded a reasonably strong side. But regardless, we're still comfortably knocked out of the FA Cup at home to Burnley on Sunday afternoon, with 3-0 really flattering us. I've got Baldo and Will with me to go back over the finer details, and we'll also look ahead to Wednesday's huge match with Brighton at the Emirates. So let's go. Fulham. So, lads, Scott Parker rung the changes for the visit of Burnley, as we expected, but perhaps not as many changes as we might have expected, given the important forthcoming match with Brighton this week. Marek Rodek started in goal with Anna Rabio, Reem and Hector in a back three. Bobby Reid and Joe Bryan were the wing-backs. Mario Lamina and Gisa and Josh Oliver made up the midfield three with Alexander Mitrovic and Abubakar Kamara up front. Will, were you surprised at the strength of the team? Yeah, yeah, I was, to be honest. Uh, Anguissa and Adarabio, definitely. I mean, you know, those two have been excellent for us in the Prem. And like you say, we've got two big games coming up and we've just had a really congested uh, fixture list. So, yeah, I, I was surprised. Um, with Bobby Reed, I mean, I know he's played a few of the cup games and he could get dropped for a few of the league games because he's... I love Bobby Reed. You know, he's been great at right wing back and he's been great further up the pitch, but I can see Parker dropping him at one point. Um, I did have a feeling that Mitrovic was going to play just because on, you know, social media, he was seemed to be all of the match day picks and all the preview picks for Fulham and stuff like that. Uh, I do hope he starts getting used more in the Prem rather than just these cup games. But yeah, it, it was a very strong team and I was surprised that uh, Carvalho was the only uh, young player even involved in the whole squad. How about you, Baldo? Were you surprised to see the likes of Anguissa and Adam Rabaio playing? Or, oh, sorry, we're supposed to call him Toshin now because he's had special dispensation from the Premier League to change the name on his back from his surname to his first name, which I always find weird. But were you, were you surprised to see the strength of the team given the, the big games that were coming up? I think the the overall strength of the team, I think we pretty much expected. Like We expected Rodak to start in goal. We expected Reem and Hector to come in to give you know, some breathing space for the likes of Anderson and Aynum. The, the team, you could more or less pick nine of the 11. The only surprise was, you know, as Will hinted at, the fact that Anguissa started, which you know, if you're going to give first team players the rest, you could make the argument that Anguissa is probably the most important one. And if you're going to rest anyone ahead of the big game against Brighton, it's probably him. So why he was the one to stick through, I don't, I don't know. But there was, but there were enough changes there that made you think, right? Yeah, I can understand what Scott Parker's doing, but at the same time, it wasn't you know, a total, you know, like disrespecting the FA Cup sort of thing. He didn't put the whole under eighteen team out, for instance. So yeah, there, it was, it was a decent mix. I thought it was weird that Ola Aina gets rested and Anna Rabaio plays because I think Aina's quite dispensable, really. Yeah, I, I agree. That. Of, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of the three, and if you're going in a priority sort of thing, hmm. Anderson is probably the best, so you give him a rest. Then Ada Rabaio, they're forming a great little partnership. And then, yeah, it is probably Aina of that back three that is, as you say, the most dispensable. So why he went for... Uh, no, to kept out of a bio in rather than a. That was a bit of a weird one. Yeah, and he played most of the game as well. All right, well, four minutes in, Bobby Reed lost his footing. The ball was square to Vidra, 
who tucked home past Rodak, only for the Lionsman's flag to go up. Now, I watched the Man City game at Cheltenham on Saturday evening, and I really find the lack of crowd noise quite confusing because every time Man City scored in the last 10 minutes, it was just in silence. And I just wondered if it was about to be disallowed or, you know, whether whether my eyes had deceived me and the ball had gone wide. And for this Fulham game, I momentarily thought that the Burnley goal had been awarded because, you know, there, there was no crowd noise, much the same as that Man City game. As it was, it was clearly offside, although there was... the the chance was a sign of things to come. That The fact that Burnley got in behind us so early, Vigil got past Michael Hector a few minutes later very easily too. Will, a word on our defending? Uh, yeah, if you just want one word, it's embarrassing. It, really, really embarrassing. Hector right. was rubbish today. Right. I thought that was polite. <laughs> well, uh, I, mean, I don't want to disrespect Adarabaya too much in the fact that he's going to keep doing the same thing. I mean, he didn't do much. He didn't make many mistakes today, but Hector and Reem, but Hector mostly for me was the one that stood out as, I just didn't be that bad. He was so bad today. He got being being so easily every time. I really liked him in the championship. You know, he came in in January and he wasn't like a star signing. You know, he didn't look like he was going to, make us win multiple more games, but he really did strengthen the defence. And I felt sorry for him when he got dropped towards the start of the season because I feel like if you do well one season, you should always get a chance. But he was terrible. And realistically, Vidra is a championship attacker. Like that, That's his quality. And he beat Hector so many times today. Yeah, it was Michael Hector's chance in a lot of ways to come back in and show that actually he is a quality defender. As he showed in the Championship last season, he came in and shored up our defence at a time when when we didn't look that great at the back and he, he he turned the team around. And in the second half of last season, we looked a different team with him in it. But at the start of the Premier League season, our problems were at the back. And we look at the formation that we now play, this 5-3-2, and we look at the personnel and you just wonder to yourselves, well, is it... Is it the people that we brought in or is it this new formation? But you bring the old players back into the new formation and think it's the same old problems. Michael Hector looks way out of his depth. Baldo, what did you make of Michael Hector today? Yeah, absolutely. All that, you know, you said to Will, you know, a word on defending. What defending, I think, is the, is the best way to put it. You know, you put it there. The fact that at the start of the season, Michael Hector was, you know, one of the reasons, and the rest of the back line as well, which included Tim Ream, were the reasons why we were shipping so many goals. So when you added bad defence, plus the fact that most of them haven't really had a chance to play, I think probably since the last FA Cup game, I don't know if any of them have come on for like a, a five-minute cameo sort of thing when we're trying to see our game or anything, but last real opportunity was the QPR game. So when you added the fact that they were you know, bad players, plus lack of game time to be fit, that's what that's what you got. So they're really somehow we shouldn't be surprised that this was what happened, given the way you know it was the size. Maybe it's the fact that it was so long ago and we've just become so accustomed to how good our defense is that we've sort of forgotten just how bad they were on you know on a premier on a Premier League level on for the most part. And even though you know Vitaj Vidya, I actually think, is a lower Premier League. I don't think he's a championship. I think he's a bit above that. So, yeah, the fact that they managed to do so much damage, in retrospect, shouldn't really be much of a surprise. Yeah, and of course, I've just completely slammed Michael Hector. But 
you look at that defence today and it was Joe Bryan, um, all right, Adarabayo, but then you've got Reem, Hector, Rodak as well. All right, we love Mike Merritt Rodak, but these are all players that were all playing at the start of the season when we were doing really badly. Um, so a lot has to be said for the quality of the players that we've, we've brought in. So I think probably we might have to give some credit to Tony Khan there. What do you think? Uh, that's a bit far, mate. <laughs> All right, well, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. We're in the January transfer window at the moment and, and we've not bought anybody in. So let's, let's see how he does this time round. Um, inside 20 minutes, having been dominated by Burnley, Alexander Mitrovic headed the ball into the back of the net after some excellent work down the right by Bobby Reid, where he beat his man. Of course, Abubakar Kamara was a judge to be offside, but it was good to see Mitrovic getting in the right place at the right time. And, of course, he didn't seem to have any problems keeping up with play, thus dispelling the myth that he can't play in this system. He's not like Cav. He's he's a different player. But I, don't, I know he was. I know Kamara was offside, but Cav's not winning that header. He's not like, he's not tall enough. He, he's not a skillful header. If header, yeah. Um, I thought Kamara was actually all right today. Uh, definitely, at, you know, supplying something different. Uh, obviously, being offside there wasn't a good position to be in but he is quick like there was a few times he ran around defenders and I know he doesn't have the best technique and his finishing wasn't great but just running in and we've seen him play some good crosses before against Swansea for that last minute winner um with Mitrovic's header and I, I do think he can play up front with someone else because obviously all the finishing isn't being uh kind of relied on him and I do think he is all right off the bench. I think the problem is he's always be he's always being put on to chase games when we're already losing. So you know there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders. But when he's playing up front with someone else and it's a bit more of a free game, I thought he made some good runs today, and he was unlucky in that case. All right, well that's the attacking. But really though, defensively we looked very poor, and Burnley could have been out of sight inside half an hour. Vidra missed a one-on-one. But then Jay Rodriguez finally broke the deadlock with a header. We can't say they didn't deserve it, Baldo. No, absolutely. It was a case of it, it. It was always it was always going to be coming because the the amount of pressure, as you said, they put on us for the first twenty minutes or so, and the fact that we didn't really offer anything. It wasn't a case, it wasn't a case of you know it, it was anything lucky or all their chances were coming from our mistakes. It was just they were better than us, and you know all all credit to Bernie for this game by the way. As much as we slam you know how bad we were, full credit to them for actually giving it a go in in that sense and taking advantage. So yeah, it was it was only going to be a matter of time, but I just don't think any of us really expected it to be this bad and for it to be you know this con that constant throughout throughout the game. What about the Bobby Reed penalty shout seven minutes before half time? The ref said no, VAR said no, but it looked like there was contact to me, even if Bobby did dangle his leg a little bit. For me, it's a penalty, you know, it's knee on knee contact. Um, what did you think, Will? Did you think it was a pen? For me, I'm like 60% towards a penalty, 40% not. I do understand why it wasn't given. It is, there's contact, but he takes a step afterwards and then he sort of goes down afterwards. But I, I I see why the ref said no, because it did sort of look quite delayed. But I'm surprised VAR didn't take him over to the screen or whatever else you have to do with VAR. You know, it, it was... it. We were hard done by. I mean, I understand why it wasn't that on either way, really. It was just unlucky it went against us. 
How did you see it, Baldo? Yeah, if we're going by percentages, I'm going to say it was 80-20 a penalty. I do think, you know, as, as Will mentioned, the, the fact that he takes a step and it, it's, you know, we, we always talk about this when players go down, you know, he's he's making the most of it or he's buying contact or that sort of thing. But really, I don't think, he did. He didn't do himself any favors. I don't think in the fact that he took a he took a step after it because then you can really just put it down to, oh, he just slipped on the you know on the floor. It was never going to be a dive. You could just say, oh, the surface was a bit uneven or slippery because of the weather. So yeah, it was a tough. So I don't think he did himself. But as we said, why VAR you know wasn't involved? I'm a very big advocate for for VAR. But in that instance, that is one of the times where you want to say. Why isn't it at least, you know, giving him the option? Speaking of slipping on the pitch, you weren't a big fan of the state of the pitch today, Baldo, were you? I wasn't, and I think you you sort of you sort of put it up afterwards, you know, it should get a little bit of slack because of the weather. But at the same time, even with the weather, you saw big, you know, patches of it not not even grass, it was mud on there, just from where players have fallen over and it just sort of dug up the grass. It was it, it just wasn't the most pleasant of sights. I know pitches have gotten better over the past you know, 20 years since I've been paying attention to football. But you say it, was, it just wasn't the most pleasing of sights, let's put it that way. Yeah, it did, it did cut up quite badly. But at the same time, I think you've got to appreciate that it did snow today and the under-soil heating was obviously on. The pitch has got really soft. And then... A load of footballers have just run all over it with uh, with with studs in their boots, so it was going to cut up quite badly. It wasn't as bad as the state of that Millwall pitch, though, was it? <laughs> that's very much that's very much an inside joke. I do like that one. <laughs> yeah, private joke. All right, um, Burnley had twelve attempts with four on target in the first half. We had just one. I know we want to concentrate on the league, but against the side we're competing with to stay up. That just isn't good enough, given the strength of the side we put out, is it, Will? Yeah, it was terrible. Uh, if this was the league, I would be fuming because, you know, that that's points lost with a terrible performance. And he's going he's gonna, to uh, kind of dip players for a bit. Of course it is. And I don't know how much kind of confidence in the cup plays a part, but if we lose our next game because of confidence or, or whatever you want to call it, then I will be annoyed because Parker now needs to let this game not have an effect on them, on the on the players and on the result of the next few league games. Thing is, if you want to talk about confidence, though, I don't think this really. If it was our first team against their first team, I think that would I think that would make a difference. But you know, as I put in the chat, it was the fact you know, looking at it, looking back at it, it's oh, our second choice team can't beat their second choice team. That's not really going to decide the end result. And you know, the the team selection sort of gave you a hint that Scott Parker doesn't want to go far in the FA Cup. So. No, it wasn't a total throwaway, but I don't think confidence is really going to be shaken up just by a result against Burnley's reserves. Let's put it that way. I, I don't think this result is going to carry on too much into the next one. Yeah, I take that point, but I don't. I don't agree with you that the lineup that Scott Parker put out indicated that he didn't want to go far in the FA Cup. So I think that that was a strong lineup. I think that was good enough to win, um, but for some reason it, it just didn't come together. We don't. We didn't create enough chances, and we just looked very shabby at the back. Yeah, because otherwise, you know, why would you play Anguissa if if you don't care about the cup? Surely you would just rest him. I know. I know. Obviously, you want to look like you're putting a decent team out, but you wouldn't put Anguissa out there. 
you know, he's one of the players that runs around all match. And I know what you're saying about the fact that it's our second team, so maybe it won't affect morale that much. But getting knocked out of the cup, no matter what team you play, it's never going to be a great confidence boost, is it, really? No, it's not. I'd rather just win every game that we played. And I know um, when J-Mate did the, uh, the Manchester United pod on, um, on midweek and kind of said, I don't care about the FA Cup. Yeah, I kind of get that. And it's fine to be out of the FA Cup, but the manner in which we've gone out just isn't acceptable, given the the lineup that we put out. And um, I would have liked to have seen a better performance from the lads today. The first half was was really really poor. Uh, right after half time, we had three attempts saved by the Burnley keeper in quick succession. Firstly, a, a great effort from Joe Bryan was acrobatically saved by Peacock Farrell. Then Mitro had two follow-ups that were kept out by the keeper as well. It was an encouraging start to the second half, but it was really the kind of reaction that you'd expect after Scott Parker had stuck a rocket at the backsides of the team all day. Yeah, it was so it was somewhat encouraging, but to at the same time, it is it kind of gave you a thing of, oh, this just isn't going to be our day, is it? When Peacock Farrell makes a, pr- a pretty de- a pretty decent save on that situation, and then Mitrovic can't really do much better. On the on the follow up, it just gave us if we're not going to get into the back into the game now, and if our defense isn't really going to step up, which it didn't really look like it was going to, if that's not going to happen, then you you could more or less write off the game from there, pretty much because we weren't we weren't all getting back in once those chances went away. Yeah, and and the thing is, it's the minimum you expect after after that first half, really, isn't it? I mean a few shots in quick succession. That's what you want to see. That's what we should have been seeing in the first half in the first place, which which we didn't. Um, but it just died out straight after. Even if you say that's positive, straight after, it's just us on the back foot again or us not being able to do anything, us not creating chances. Like I said, it's the FA Cup and I do care about the Cup. You want to go as far as you can. But if this was the league, there would be way more outroar than, than kind of what's happening with the with it being the cup. Well, yeah, if Michael Hector got brought back in for a league game against Burnley and we lost 3-0 at home, then everyone would be going crazy. But yeah, no, I take your point. With with 22 minutes left of the game, Niskan's Cabano came on for Bobby Reid, Ruben Loftus-Cheek replaced Anguissa, and we tried to get ourselves back into the game. But moments later, Burnley were awarded a penalty, which to me looked rather soft. Michael Hector barged into Vidra, and Rodriguez took the penalty away. Baldo, penalty for you? Uh, no, not for me. Uh, anyone who knows, you know, knows me and has listened to this, I'm very much a fan of physical football. And that was, it was a perfect shoulder charge. You know, let's put it this way. If that, if that happened outside the box, if that, you know, the ball racing towards the corner when someone's trying to run the ball down the, in the 89th minute sort of thing, I don't think that get. I don't think that gets given as a free kick. So the fact it got given as a penalty was incredibly harsh on us. But I don't. I don't want to. You know, combine that with the Bobby Reed penalty earlier and, and this one. I don't want to put all the blame on the referee and say, oh, he cost us the game by you know not giving that penalty, giving that penalty at a crucial time. We we were bad, but at the same time, it was pretty much the nail in the coffin when it comes down to it. I think how bad we were, you know, the, the penalties, either penalty wouldn't have made that much of a difference. It probably uh, probably wasn't a penalty, but I think it 
could be sort of seen as a shoulder in the back. I do understand why it was given, but again, why VAR didn't really overturn it. And like I say, if, if that's the league and our penalty isn't given and that one is given, there's you know, outrage. But, you know, could have gone either way and just unfortunately it went against us twice, really. Well, Kamara missed a glaring chance to get us back into the game and make the last 10 minutes more exciting when Loftus-Cheek played him in. But Burnley made it 3-0 shortly after and thus hammered the final nail in the Fulham FA Cup coffin. Jay Rodriguez looked like he handled the ball when he squared it back. Was it Kevin Long that ended up putting it in the back of the net? Um, Once again, poor defending from Fulham, but something that I feel like VAR could have had a look at. I I mean, at at 3-0 with um, minutes to go, it's not a massive deal, but... You know, should it have been overturned? Um, to be brutally honest, I didn't even notice the Jay Rodriguez pamble in the build-up. So I'll, I'll take your word for that. My only thought was, um, touching back on what I said about Ariola in the aftermath of the Chelsea game, it was a similar sort of situation when he sort of put the ball back into danger. Marek Rodak sort of did the same thing. He tried to get the ball away, but he just played it right into... The Bernie player. I'm assuming that was. I'm assuming that was Rodriguez. Um, it just comes back to. And then there was a little bit of a mix-up in the defensive. I don't want to put all the blame on Rodak, but it is one of those things where I think he could have. He could have done better. But at the same time, the Fulham defence in dealing with that little bit of scramble could have done better as well. So it was just a you know microcosm of it. It summed up the whole day perfectly. If you want to, if you want to put it that way, just how bad the defence was. That that little moment just said. This is what we've got, and look how bad it is. I just want to come back to that Rodriguez incident because you said you didn't notice it, and that's perfectly fine because they didn't really say anything about it at the time. They let the goal go, but a few minutes later, they went back to it on BT Sport and said, well, let's just have a look at this. It's a surprise that VAR didn't pick it up, and they slowed it right down, and he's clearly knocked it back in with his arm. So quite why it wasn't reviewed at the time it's just, it's bizarre. Will, did you see that? Uh, I think I sort of stopped watching at that point, to be honest. But, um, yeah, no, I think I did, I did. I think I did see something uh, about the, the handball on Twitter or something. Um, and I don't know, they're still so with VAR thing. And like I say, if, if that's in the league and that's not reviewed, people are fuming. Um, just lucky that it came in an FA Cup game in it hopefully won't affect us in the relegation battle too much. Well, yeah, it won't, won't affect the relegation battle at all. We've still got to play Burnley twice, and the team that we put out in both of those games will be very different. No doubt that when we go to Turf Moor, we'll get thrashed, but we do seem to have quite a good record against Burnley at the cottage, so fingers crossed. In the league, it will be a different story. Anyway, let's come back to this game, and Fabio Carvalho replaced Mario Lamina, and Dennis Adoy replaced Tashin right after the third goal. It was nice to see Fabio get a run out, even in very tedious circumstances, and he looked promising. He even got a shot away ball, though. I know you're a big fan of his. I am, absolutely. I'm very much on the Carvalho hype train. And he did okay. It was what what you did, what you expect from a, you know, from a youngster, 3-0 down in an FA Cup tie, that the game is gone. You know, run around, give a lot of energy, maybe get that, that one brief moment that you think, oh, he might got something. And he managed to put his shot straight into the stomach of a Burnley defender. So clearly he's incredibly overhyped and I should get off the hype train as a result. But no, he did he did okay. Nothing more than you sort of wouldn't expect. But 
this is these are the moments that you know these 10 minutes here could prove very valuable further down the line and that's what you know i ideally would have liked him to have got maybe 15 20 minutes you know in that brief hope that he could change a game but overall he did okay you're on the hype train of a youngster at fulham fabio carvalho is he welsh uh, Portuguese, I believe. However, I will <laughs> no, just, I will just, I think he's Portuguese. I will just say the last player I got on the hype train of was Stephen Humphreys, who I think only made two appearances <laughs> and is now, and is now, I, last time I saw he was at South End. He may have moved on since then. So I'm not all, I'm not always right with these things, but I am very much a fan of this guy. Stephen Humphreys, full of legend for sure. <laughs> all right, let's, let's come on to the system really quickly then. Yeah, just a word on this five-three-two system. Then, does this work in every every game, or should our setup be more versatile to fit the opponent, Baldo? I think I think it should because the five-three-two works really well when we're trying to be defensive, park the bus, if you will, against the likes of you know Chelsea. We put in a good performance. Man United. We put in a good performance. You know, the big sides when we don't want to concede too many or hope to get a draw. That's when we want. To, that's when we want to be using it. When we are trying to win a game, then, yeah, we do need to change things up. I don't know if it's a change of maybe just changing the personnel a little bit. So rather than having Cavalero and Lookman up top, for instance, maybe that's when you want to have you know Loftus-Cheek and Mitrovic, for instance, if it's just in case of personnel, or if it needs to be a complete system change as well, if you want to go 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 or just completely scrap it. But I, but I, I don't think this system, this 5-3-2, is going to be good enough for every single game. There will be times where we need to be more attacking. So yeah, there, so there does need to be a plan, a plan B, as it was, rather than tweaking plan A. Okay, and how about for you, Will? Word on the system from you. Yeah, I think a fallback could definitely work better against teams around us in the league. Um, you know, we need to offer more going forward. We don't need to counter attack as much. We can probably hold the ball more. You know, when we're playing Liverpool and Spurs and Man United and Chelsea, we're not going to have that much of a ball. Or, but when we play um, Burnley and West Brom, etc., we're going to want to control the game and play a fullback to offer more in the attacking sense. Okay, well, let's move on then. Let's come to a Scott Parker racing for this game and draw a line under this whole shit show of a cup game. Uh, Will, I'll come to you first. What are you giving Scott Parker for the 3 0 home defeat to Burnley in the FA Cup? I'm going to have to say a five, to be honest. I, I think the players he fielded weren't great. The formation didn't work. And I think it's not even the he fielded bad players. He fielded players we're going to need in the league, which is the main problem for me. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you with a five for very much the same reasons. I was I was surprised that Anguissa and Adam Rabio played. Okay, they've probably come out a bit unscathed, but they played quite a large portion of the game today, and they um, they're going to be needed for Wednesday. So um, you know we we could have put we could have put the under 18s out and got hammered, and we didn't. We uh, we tired out some of the first team players, so. So, yeah, five out of ten for me. Baldo? I was going to give a six, but pretty much the same reason. So I'll not, I'll not mind down to a five. The team selection as a whole, it was, it was okay. There is, as I keep saying, there is to some extent the players do have to take responsibility for what happened. So he, put, he puts out the team. He wants to give Aina and Anderson a rest until he puts in Hector and Reap. You can understand that. 
but then it's down to Hector and Reem to prove why they want to do that. So you don't want to put too much blame on Scott Parker for that. But at the same time, there is some blame, but not a whole lot of it. And then the way he reacted to the game throughout throughout the whole thing wasn't great either. So we get points off for me. So I'll knock it down to a five. Well, I look forward to getting hammered on social media for giving Scott Parker a five out of ten. Because we did the other day, I can't remember who it was, um, who uh, who tweeted us and gave us a load of stick for, for our Scott Parker rating. But just remember, it's just our opinion. Scott Parker ratings are just part of this podcast and no one really cares. So let's move on. Let's move on to the next game, which is Brighton away on Wednesday. Fulham. Right, lads. Well, it's a massive match on Wednesday. We've got Brighton at the Amex at 7.30pm. We currently sit five points behind them on 12 points with one game in hand. Will, this is as must-win as they come, isn't it? Definitely. I mean, this and West Brom are two massive games, but for me, this is more important game. If we win this, you know, we get closer to them. This is a game in hand. This is our chance to to catch up with them. But if we if we lose, Brighton can really really stretch the gap. And whilst teams like Newcastle seem to be dropping in, we we really can't risk risk that. And we need to get four points at least, if not six. Really, six should be what we're getting out of West Brom and Brighton. Really. And Baldo, this this match against Brighton, we a draw isn't even enough, is it? No, I, th- I think we're, this one is an absolute must-win, which is why I'm glad that I'm not um, on the schedule to do the review show. Because if we do lose that one, I can't even bear to think how the reaction to it is going to go. Similar, to, It would be similar to how we would have lost the Brentford playoff final. Um, not, not quite on the same level, but that just same level of just despair that would have gone through. But yeah, it, it, this is must-win. As Will said, it's more about catching up the team that's ahead of us rather than putting a distance between you know, West Brom and everything. So this game, if if you had, Will mentioned four points there. If you had to give me a choice of which one do we win, which one do we draw, it's definitely Brighton is the one you want to win. Well, we lose to Brighton and we're eight points behind them and they sit just above us out, uh, outside the relegation zone. Eight points at this time of the season. It's a tall order, isn't it? All right, Baldo. Well, Will's had to drop off because he's had some connection problems. And in this day and age where everyone's at home, then I don't think anybody will have too many problems with the fact that it's just you and I that will just rattle through the last couple of bits. So um, what team would you put out for Brighton? uh, Did anybody make a claim in the Burnley game for a first team spot? Presumably not. Um, Um, What team would you put out? Of the... No, of the you know second string players, as you would, I don't think anyone really did. So it is back. To, it's going to be a case of back to normal. The only question really is, is did Alexandra Mitrovic do enough? Because there's always been this talk about, oh, it was you know people saying, oh, it's because he's been transfer listed, we don't want to injure him. Scott Parker saying, oh, he's been injured, so he's just coming back. The question then does become, what are you going to do? Do you want to put Alexandra Mitrovic in for this game? And I think Brighton have some really decent centre backs. I expect that I also expect them to play Dan Byrne, assuming assuming he's in there. So you're going to want to have that physical presence in there to go against the likes of Ben White and Lewis Dunk, who are decent centre backs, although not great. Um, so I think it's probably Mitrovic and Lookman up top. Then the rest of the 
you know, nine, the nine, the, the goalkeeper, the five and the three pretty much writes itself at this stage. So the, that's the only change I would make. I think this is where Mitrovic comes into it as a, as a starter. Well, you say that about Alexander Mitrovic and, you know, I, I, I can't speak highly enough of the bloke. I, I think he should be one of the first names on the team sheet every week just because he can finish. But he's not the sort of person and he's never been the sort of person really who carves out too many opportunities for himself. Um, certainly not at this level. He needs, he needs some support and he needs a supply. And today with the lesser players, arguably there, there wasn't that supply. Maybe with the likes of Lookman playing on the wing, there would be a better supply for him, but he just hasn't really been given an opportunity in this system, has he, uh, in the Premier League? He hasn't. I think one. if we do want to go back to the earlier part of the season, um, one of the things that was looking promising, I think, to assist in two games between the two was Kenny Tete. And if, if we are yes. to assume that Kenny Tete is coming back, and again, if you want to swap out the players, he will probably play that right wing back role that... He's the one you want whipping crosses mm. in to Alexander Mitrovic, and he's he's got that in his pocket. So I think if we're going to have if we're going to have Kenny Tete in the team, we have to have Alexander Mitrovic in the team as well. That that that's just my that's just my take on it. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. And you know, Kenny Tete he even picked out Cavalero um, in the week, didn't he? And Cavalero blasted over. So I think, yeah, Kenny Tese and Mitrovic do seem to have a, uh, an understanding from earlier in the season. And I think, I, I think whatever, whatever way you look at this, defensively, we've got better because of the players we've brought in, not because of the change in formation. And attacking-wise, we're crap because we haven't got somebody who can finish. It's not nothing to do with the fact that we play on the counter-attack. It's you know it's it's because we've not got a finisher. We're and now we're we're crying out for somebody who can fit into this system, and we're looking at trying to sign a player who can fit into this system. We've got somebody who can fit into this system. We've got somebody who can finish in the penalty area. Just play him. It's that simple. It's that simple. And if you leave Mitrovic out for too much longer, then you know the obvious is going to happen. So. As you say, up against the likes of Dan Byrne, this is his type of game. And as is the as is the West Brom game, up against a, a big Sam Allardyce team next weekend, this is his type of game. Get him in the team. And, you know, it's only a matter of time before he starts scoring again. He had the ball in the net against Burnley and it wasn't his fault that it was disallowed. So he's, he's in the right place at the right time and he always is. Um, let's come on to the stats then. Baldo, read me the stats that Stato's prepared for us. Right, so as the lovely Sato has said, uh, let's go through their stats this season. And as you might expect, there's a little bit of a drop-off from where they were last year. So points per game has gone down from 1.1 to 0.9. Goal scored per game, goal scored per game, though, has gone up from 1 to 1.2. And goals conceded per game has also gone up from 1.4 to 1.5. So slightly better attackingly, but also slightly worse defensively as well. Um, clean sheets, they've kept clean sheets in 24% of their games last season and 21% of their games so far this season. So the chance to get the chance to get their to get their back line is there and to get through it as well. Um 
than that. Of their three wins this season, two of them have come by one goal margin. The other one was a 3-0 win at Newcastle. So it's probably going to be a tight game. Hopefully hopefully not a nil-nil that we weren't accustomed to a couple of weeks ago. A significant stat is that Brighton have taken the lead against teams 10 times this season and have conceded an equaliser a whopping seven times. So getting on the score sheet is going to be very crucial for us. Of their eight defeats, five of them were by one goal margin. So back to what I was saying earlier, it's going to be a tight, it's probably going to be a tight one. Um, they've gone in leading at half time with only five of their 19 games this season. And they rank ninth in the league in terms of average possession with 51% per game, higher than Spurs, Villa, and impressively Wolves. They're also ninth in the league when it comes to shots per game with an average of 12. Um, we're not far behind with 13, uh, 13th in the league with an average of 11.6. So expect Ariana to have a bit of a busy game. Um, when it comes to their home form, Brighton have not won a single home game this season, having played nine so far with five draws and four losses. So they're pretty much the opposite of what Fulham were back in the old days of the Premier League where we oh, can get God, away that, with. That is not the sort of stat I want to be hearing. <laughs> yeah, that, that is... Yeah, it, it, it is... It is Oh, what season was it? Was it 2005-06? Sunderland didn't win a home game all season. And then we got, and then they beat us in like the penultimate one. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. That was, was that yeah. the season when there, when um, we went up there and we took the lead one nil, and then it got snowed off. Absolutely, and then the rearranged, rearranged one. We yeah. lost one. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that one. Thank God I didn't go to it. Um, I did. I time... did. After oh, the first one or the second one? The first one. <laughs> oh, I feel so. I feel bad. Yeah, That's terrible. Great. Um, right. Anyway, back to back to Arthur's uh, wonderful things. Uh, their last home win came here back in two thousand. Uh, back in two thousand twenty. No, surprisingly, in June against Arsenal, their only home win in the entirety of two thousand twenty, which I'm sure isn't helping anyone. If you're going to go on along that jinxing line, um, rather predictably, predictably, this does mean that they score less and concede more in their home games this season. Sixty percent of the goals they've scored and they've, that they've conceded have come in the second half. And due to this poor form, Brighton have been in the lead for an average duration of just seven point nine minutes per match that they played at home. Um, so that's really all it is in terms of the team overall. Uh, for the players individually, I'll hand back to Frenchie. Right, yes. So first choice goalkeeper Matt Ryan played the first 11 games of the season before he he's, his form dropped. Um, and then he ended up being the third choice keeper. And he's he's gone out on loan to Arsenal in January, in, in this week actually, or last week. So very bizarre one, that one, because I always thought Matt Ryan was a decent player. Um, replacing him has been the 23-year-old Spanish keeper, Robert Sanchez, who signed for Brighton at the age of 15 and is finally breaking through to the first team, having had loan spells at Forest Green Rovers and at Rochdale. Uh, he's he's kept two clean sheets so far this season. Um, and the most recent game at the Cottage, he kept a clean sheet. Um, in defence, uh, they've been playing uh, back three of Dunk, Webster and Byrne. Um, with versatile defender Veltman at right wing back in the absence of the injured Lamptey and converted winger Solly March playing out on the left. A sign of Brighton being a team that plays it out from the back is the fact that all five of those players listed above are in the top seven in the Brighton team for the amount of passes completed per game. With Webster at 191 centimetres, Dunk at 192 centimetres and Byrne at 198 centimetres, this defence is very tall and intimidating 
and they like to play it out along the floor. In midfield, they've got Yves Bissouma. He's been the standout performer for them this season. He was linked with a summer move to Arsenal. A defensive midfielder with 2.9 tackles per game and 1.8 clearances per game. He's just returned from injury and made a sub-appearance against Leeds to get back up to fitness. Ben White has been deputising for Basuma in that defensive midfield role. He was a standout performer for Leeds last season in the Championship where he played at centre-back. He's been playing a mix of centre-back and central defensive midfield for Brighton this season and he's made the step up to the Premier League very well. Further forward in midfield, Brighton have been using a variety of Pascal Gross, Leandro Trossard and Adam Lallana. Lallana, the preferred option, he's been quite injury-prone despite starting 10, 10 games for them this season. Trossard is their leading player in terms of assists with three assists and one goal to his name. Gross, despite only starting eight games, has two goals and two assists this season. And in attack, arguably their weakest area at the Amex, Leading the line for them most weeks has been Neil Mope, who has seven goals and one assist so far this season, but he does have a habit of going invisible for a lot of games. Danny Welbeck joined them in the summer. He's got two goals, but hasn't made the impact Brighton thought he would. He's had a few injuries to deal with this season. Also keep an eye on Percy Tao, signed by Brighton in 2018, but hasn't been able to play due to work visa issues so far. He can now finally play in England and has been starting to break into the starting eleven as he gets up to speed with the Premier League. All right, so Baldo, let's come on to a score prediction. What are you thinking for this one? Um, it's a it's a tough one. It really, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna remain positive. I'm gonna feed off Matt Dom's positively positivity from the from the chat. So, you know what? I'll go for a two. I'll go for a two-one win. I can't. I can't see us keeping a clean sheet, even though our defense has improved. I just think so, something will happen, whether or not it is from a set piece, which we're not the best at. You know, agent Dan Burn, as if you want to put it. I just. I just can't see us keeping a clean sheet. But I do think that. So I think that Scott Parker will have given them a bit of a rollicking after today. Just sort of say, right, we've got rid of the FA Cup, so you can concentrate on the league now. Let's make good on that. So. That will give us the boost. I say 2-1. Well, firstly, Matt Dom's positivity is because he lives in Eastbourne, which isn't a million miles away from Brighton. And he's not, he doesn't like Brighton because he lives so close. So he's not a big Brighton fan. Um, I, I can see us keeping a clean sheet in this one, to be honest. Brighton aren't great in attack. We've been tighter at the back. All right, today was an anomaly, but we did have our shitter players out from earlier in the season. And they were shipped out of the team because of the way that they were playing and the way that they were costing the team. So Anderson comes back in and um, Aina comes back in and we we have that settled defensive back three. And, uh, you know, we, we conceded one against Chelsea. We conceded two against Manchester United, one of which was a worldie. And we conceded one against Tottenham. These are teams that are competing to win the league. And now we're playing against Brighton, who are scrapping for survival, as are we. But we we just we do look better at the back. So I, I think we're going to win 2-0. And I think Mitrovic is going to be back in the goals. And, you know, uh, in at the Amex a couple of years ago, he was the one that cost us the points because of that handball that gave away the penalty. 
So I think this will be his game to redeem himself. So yeah, I think we'll win this game. All right, let's leave it there for this time. J-Mac will be back to record the Brighton reaction right after the game on Wednesday. So it will be available for you to listen to first thing on Thursday morning, UK time. He's being joined by Morgs and Matt Dom. So let's hope that little dream team are discussing a massive three points for the Whites. Baldo and Will, who left a little while ago, thanks for joining for this one. Maybe next time we all record together, we'll have a win to enjoy. You never know. Thanks for listening at home and speak to you soon. Cheers. Fulham.